0: Well, the Pharisees said, you follow our tradition, that'll be right. God says, you follow my command, and that'll be right. Which do you choose? Well, good morning, beloved. Mark chapter 7 is where we are this morning. If you would open your Bibles, please, Mark chapter 7. We're going to be looking at verses 14 through 23 verses 14 through 23 this is part of uh, a little bit of what we looked at last week it's more of an extension of it but i felt that that was going to be too much to try to cover in one message so i just sort of broke it up into a couple uh, more manageable bite-sized pieces i'd like to read for you just to set this in your mind from verse 14 all the way through verse 23 and let rem. rem- let me remind you that this that we are reading is the Word of God. It's not made up. It's not uh, some fanciful story that uh, was devised years ago. This is the divinely inspired Word of God. And what Mark and Matthew and the other Gospel writers have written for us, they've done that under the direction and inspiration of the holy spirit so that what you and i have in our hands is the very word that god wants us to have the bible is god's love letter to us if you will it's what he wants us to know about him and he reveals it in a variety of ways sometimes as we're going to look at here it's jesus speaking directly to us Other times it's by example, by how God works in a person's life. But all of this, from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, is God's communication from Himself through those divinely inspired authors to you and to me so that we would know who God is, know who we are, and know what God expects of each of us. So with that in mind, please listen. As I read Mark chapter 7 verses 14 through 23. When he had called all the multitude to himself, he said to them, hear me, everyone, and understand. There is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. When he had entered a house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. So he said to them, Are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him, because it does not enter his heart, but his stomach, and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods? And he said, What comes out of a man, that defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. There are many times when it encourages and strengthens us. But then, Father, there are many times when it challenges us, when it confronts us with truth that we don't otherwise like to think about. But Lord, we do need to think about these things because eternity depends upon them father we want to be able to live wisely we want to have ears that hear and eyes that see we want to have a heart and a mind that are properly responsive to you and so Lord please speak to us this day through your word may your spirit open our minds may we understand your word what you're telling us and how it applies to our lives so that we might submit ourselves to You, so that we might become the people that You want us to be, a pure and a holy people, ones that bring honor to Your name. So thank You, Father, for Your Word. Thank You for what Your Spirit is doing in our lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and for His glory. Amen. Jesus has just concluded a rather heated interaction with a group of Pharisees who had recently come from Jerusalem with the intention of finding fault with Jesus personally and with his teaching. You remember we read last time in chapter 7 verse 1 about these Pharisees and scribes who came up to, uh, from Jerusalem up to where Jesus was teaching in the area of Galilee. They wanted to find something. And they jumped on Jesus' lack of adherence to the tradition of the elders as evidence that he was in some way a, a violator of some great big religious principle or something that was important. And if that would have been true, they would have had reason to denounce Jesus and his teaching. However... Jesus used the opportunity to expose their own hypocrisy and spiritual bankruptcy. It's not the traditions of men, it's not the commandments of men that please God. You remember Jesus last time said, Oh, you have a real nice way of setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your own traditions. God's Word had said that they were to honor their father and their mother. But their pharisaical tradition said, well, whatever it is you might have used to honor your parents, take care of them, and so forth, you you can just say that that's a gift to God, and then you don't have to do anything more for your parents. Now, wait a minute. God says, honor your parents. The Pharisees say, don't worry about that. Just jump through this little loophole here and you can do whatever you want. Which one's right? Well, the Pharisees said, You follow our tradition, that'll be right. God says, You follow my command, and that'll be right. Which do you choose? So, (coughs) excuse me, so Jesus exposed their hypocrisy by revealing the fact that they were the ones who were guilty of what they were wanting to accuse jesus of they wanted to accuse jesus of not obeying god of not doing what god wanted people to do in fact it was the pharisees who were not obeying god who were not doing what god wanted his people to do isn't that amazing we, do we see that pattern in life today All the time. People are constantly pointing out what they think are the faults of others so that you'll look at them and not see the faults in their own lives. They point out the faults of others in an attempt to fool themselves. Well, I'm better than so-and-so, as though that made any difference to God. God's never fooled because God looks on the heart. So after Jesus had been teaching this, he brings the whole multitude together. Apparently what happened was when Jesus was doing some teaching and these scribes and Pharisees came into the crowd and came up to Jesus, the crowd, maybe out of respect for these guys, sort of stepped back a little bit and and gave some room. But now Jesus, having dealt with them, He calls the crowd back in. He says, hey, you know, get back in here. And he addresses the issue that the Pharisees themselves brought up. And now Jesus is going to really get down to the core of what it is that defiles a person. Is it external or is it internal? We still think about those kinds of things today, don't we? We think that, oh, if I just don't do certain things and I check off on my little box, okay, I I went to church and, okay, I I gave to the offering and, okay, I did this and, all right, I didn't do that and I didn't do that and I didn't do that. So I'm in good shape now. I can look at my scorecard and see that I've scored pretty well and God's going to be impressed with my scorecard. What is it that really defiles a person. That word defile is interesting, isn't it? It's a word that does appear in the Old Testament particularly in the word iniquity. We're going to look at three words a little bit later. Sin and trespass and iniquity. And the word iniquity speaks of the defilement of one's soul. If something is defiled, it is unclean. It, there's something wrong with it it's bad now you and i don't like to think that we might be bad down deep inside we like to think that we're pretty good people you know i mean you don't beat the wife you feed the kids you take care of the cat and you pay your bills on time and you do all i mean you're pretty good That that's, that's We'll mark that off on our scorecard. We're, we're going up, right? In God's eyes, we're doing all those things. But it's the doing that is not what God's looking at. It's what's deep in the heart. So let's think for just a moment about the biblical teaching on human nature. What is the natural human heart like? How do we come into this world? Well, Psalm 51, if you happen to have it there, uh, it would be worth looking at. Psalm 51, verses 1 to 5. Let me read that, and I'm going to really focus just on one particular verse, the last one, but I want you to hear all five. David is writing, and if you look at the little, little... portion before verse 1 it says that it's a psalm of david when nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into bathsheba david committed a tremendous sin with a woman named bathsheba and nathan the prophet confronted him and this is david's response to that all right he says have mercy upon me O god according to your loving kindness according to the multitude of your tender mercies blot out my transgressions wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin there's those three words i mentioned a moment ago we'll come back to them for i acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me against you you only have i sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge now here's what i want us to focus on at the moment behold i was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me now is David talking about the the act of conception as it occurs within marriage that that's some kind of a sinful act no not at all God is the one who designed the reproductive system God is the one who designed the bond of marriage to be that place where it's it's legitimately fulfilled and David is not referring to that he's referring to his own heart it's in that realm of sin that goes all the way back to Adam we all come with a sin nature David is simply agreeing that the normal lot of humanity is his Because even within the bond of marriage, which is where that that blessed conception is to take place, God reveals that that conceived child comes with a sin nature. Because of Adam's sin. Adam rebelled against God, and that sense of rebellion has been infused into humanity. It's part of our makeup. It's part of our DNA, if you will. So that every single child comes into this world a sinner. Everyone. There are no exceptions. Except one, Jesus Christ. Oh, I wish we had time to think about that some more, but we'll save that for another sermon. David says it's in the realm of fallenness, it's in the realm of sin that I have been conceived and that i have been born and i am like everybody else think with me about romans chapter 3 verses 10 and 8 through 18. paul is writing he says as it is written he's going to quote from the old testament here for a little bit he says as it is written there is none righteous no not one there is none who understands there is none who seeks after god they have all turned aside. They have all together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. Their tongues, uh, With their tongues they've practiced deceit. The poison of asps, that's a really poisonous snake, is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in the ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's our world. That's the people who make up this world. When we talk about the world, sometimes we think about the, the systems, you know, the governments, the, all those kinds of things, and they're, they're sort of separated from us a little bit, and it's easy to blame the system, isn't it? It's easy to blame the government. Well, what is the government? What, what are the systems of this world? They're the reflections of people, right? I mean, people make up the government. People make up the various organizations and groups and businesses and schools and all that stuff. And uh, it, it, They're people. And if the people are corrupt, guess what? The systems that the people design are going to be corrupt. And that's the point. We're not innocent. We're not good. In our natural condition, we come into this world bad and broken. We come into this world defiled. Parents, did you ever teach your children to lie? You never did. Do they? Uh-huh. Did you ever teach them to deceive? No. But do they? Yes. Why is it that when little children are learning and 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 they go in a direction and you tell them no, don't do that, don't touch that thing, why is it that as soon as they possibly can, they turn around and they go that direction and then They look over their shoulder to see if you're watching. It's because they have a sin nature. And they want to deceive. That's what comes naturally to all of us. To all of us. Hmm. That creates a problem, doesn't it? What was Jesus' teaching on the human nature? Well, look at verse 15 back here. He says, the things which come out of a man, those are the things that defile a man. The problem is internal. Why am I the way I am? It's because I'm broken inside. It's because there's something wrong down deep. Now the good news is, and I want you to make sure you get this quickly and I'll try to reinforce it along the way, the good news is that change is possible. In fact, that's why Jesus came, so that that we might know how our lives can be changed, transformed. We, We call that salvation. Salvation is available. There is that fundamental change that can be made in our hearts and minds so that we are not controlled by sin, by this sin nature any longer. We can have a new nature that's found in Jesus Christ. We can truly learn to do what is genuinely good and right and holy. We can, through the power of the Holy Spirit of God working in us, do those things which please Almighty God. So there is hope available for us. But the problem is, in order to enjoy that hope, in order to enjoy that forgiveness, in order to enjoy that new nature, we have to first be willing to admit that we are what we are and we don't like it we just don't like it jesus doesn't give any loopholes he doesn't give an out we are born sinners we are violators of god's holiness we are violators of his standards and that's because we are broken on the inside look with me at verses 17 now through uh, verse 23 we're going to have some expansion on this jesus makes that statement verses 14 through 716, 16 in in the hearing of the multitude and doubtless there were other things that he said but mark is not focusing on those things he's kind of cut the sermon off here and suddenly in verse 17 it says when he entered a house so so the teaching for the day is done the interaction with the scribes and the pharisees is all over with now jesus has gone back to the place where he's staying And his disciples, the the twelve that are with him, and probably a few others as well, because there were others who were close to Jesus, they're they're there in the house. Doubtless whoever owned the house was there. The, The host and hostess, they were there. And so now Jesus is with a much smaller group, and somebody, maybe it was Peter, I don't know, but somebody asked him and said, um uh, can you explain that business about the defiling and all that stuff cuz we didn't quite get it And I understand I mean they had been growing up all of their lives hearing the teaching of the Pharisees don't eat this don't touch that wash your hands this certain way you have to do this you have And you know what it's hard to get over those things that are drilled into us when we were little it's hard, isn't it? I mean, some of us are still struggling with that today. We just it, 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 it's been so impressed into us that we question, that we wonder. You mean, you mean I don't have to do that special pouring ceremony and wash? I, I don't have to do that, but I'm so used to doing that. You mean that really doesn't impress God? No, it doesn't. And we have to unlearn and relearn. And Jesus says, are you without understanding also? Don't you get it? (laughs) To put it in the modern terminology. Don't you guys get it? You see, they've been with Jesus now for a little over two years. We're we're coming into that that third and final year of Jesus' ministry. This is not the first time that these disciples have heard this discussion. But they're still not getting it. Have you ever had to hear something more than once before it dawned on you? Yeah, me too. (laughs) So these guys are just like us. They're just like us. And Jesus says, don't you get it yet? And so he gives a, a real simple illustration. The Pharisees have been talking about food, all right? they've been talking about the external stuff so jesus says listen the food goes into the mouth goes into the stomach gets all processed and goes out into the waste and the food does not affect your heart or your mind the seat of your very soul it doesn't affect who you are the food doesn't change your way of thinking that doesn't do it. It's out of the heart. It's the stuff that's already there that comes out. You know, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, Jesus is speaking on another occasion there. And he says that it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. Do you want to know what someone's really like on the inside? Listen to the way they talk. Listen to how they speak. You know, in our society today, if we were to eliminate, to render it impossible for people to speak in foul and gutter kinds of language, there would be a lot of people that would have to go around mute because they don't have anything to say. The only thing that comes out of their mouths is vile speech. All this trash talk and all the, the derogatory words that come out of their mouths. You know where it all comes from? The heart. The mind and the heart are filled with those things. And it's out of those things that the mouth just naturally speaks. It's it's a change. When we come to know Jesus Christ as our Savior, our speech needs to be impacted by that truth. It really does. When Jesus changes the heart... And the heart and the mind are being transformed by the indwelling Holy Spirit. Do you think God speaks the way some Christians speak today? No, He doesn't. That's hard, isn't it? I I get it. I mean, when we first come to know Christ as our Savior, we, we know that we've been forgiven of our sin, but we've got to grow a little bit. we have to understand how permeating sin really is and we have to discover that oh my my words do make a difference there's a lot of things we have to grow up into so as a baby Christian we might stumble a lot we might fail a lot we might struggle a whole lot but as we walk with the Lord as we grow and as we mature those kinds of things should become less and less and less a part of our lives. And our, our language should change because our minds and our hearts have changed. There might be a little lag time, but there ought to be some change. And there ought to be some conviction when we stumble. And we say those things that are wrong, and we ought to say, Lord, I failed. We don't see it as a failure, do we? We see it as, I don't know what we see it as, but we don't see it as an offense to God. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Luke chapter 6, verse 45, Jesus says this A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, brings forth evil. He doesn't just limit it to speech. He goes on and talks about speech. But you know, it's true. Good behavior comes from where? Out of a good heart. Evil behavior comes from where? Out of an evil heart that's just a fundamental reality of life we can try to dress it up any way that we like but we can't get away from that fundamental reality it was that fundamental reality that brought the anger of god upon this world in a global way according to genesis chapter 6 verse 5 listen to this then the lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth he saw the behavior, but that wasn't all he saw. Listen to the rest of the verse. And that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Where does all the bad stuff come from in this world? Where does it come from? Where does the, the violence and the hatred and the immoral behavior, where does it all come from? It comes from the human heart that's the problem that's what needs to be changed i I don't mean it needs to be fixed i mean it needs to be changed radical heart surgery but not the kind that you can go to the hospital for this is a radical heart surgery that only the holy spirit of god can perform as he brings conviction to a human heart as he transforms that human heart this this is this is absolutely spiritual surgery some examples of defilement look at what jesus says beginning here in uh, verse i've got to find it now Verse 17, or excuse me, verse uh, 18, we'll look at that. He says, Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him because it does not enter his heart but his stomach and is eliminated? Verse 20, What comes out of a man that defiles a man for from within, out of the heart, proceed. And here we have a list. The first six, there's 12 altogether here, the first six are plural, evil thoughts. Adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickednesses. It should be wickednesses, it's, it's plural. The next six are singular. Now, there's, I think, a reason for that. One of them sort of depicts the wicked acts, the other depicts more the inclination of the heart the inclination of the heart so the first six being plural they depict the wicked acts sexual immorality the word there's pornea it's any kind of illicit sexual behavior the next word theft is any kind of unlawful taking any kind of stealing whatsoever It might be the stealing of a person's good reputation. It might be the stealing of their identity. It might be the taking of their money. It it might be the taking of their property or their possessions. It can be unlawful taking of any kind. Murder, that's pretty self-explanatory. The taking of a human life. Adultery, any kind of illicit sexual relation by a married person fornication er, or pornea is wrong sexual behavior by an unmarried person a single person god covers the waterfront here greed oh man we don't think about greed as being something nasty do we Mm -hmm, it is it's some kind of insatiable craving to have what belongs to somebody else or to have what you don't have it's an unsettledness I want more. I want more. I want more. God, what you have provided for me is not sufficient. I want more. more, more, more. How much more do you need to be happy? A little more? It's a never ending cycle. Malice. Mm, yeah, that's a that's a powerful word. Wickednesses in some translation. It just refers to the many. Various ways that evil thoughts can express themselves. It's a settledness to do what is wrong. It's it's kind of like thumbing your nose at God. I don't care what you say, God. I'm going to do it my way. That was a song, wasn't it? And it played on the radio and it made it to the top ten and everybody loved to hear I did it my way. They're going to sing that song in hell. And it's not going to be very popular. Because when they did it their way, they got what their way deserved. Man, that is powerful, powerful stuff. Here's here's the list of things, six things, that reveal the inclinations of the heart. Look at it. Deceit. We're going to do something and we're not going to let it look like we're doing what we're really doing. We're going to deceive people. We're going to fool them. We're going to pull the wool over their eyes. We're going to slide this one under the radar. We're going to be deceitful about what we're doing. That's an attitude. The next one, lewdness. We see that on the news every day. That is the attitude of pride. That is the attitude of I have no shame whatsoever. I will do and I will display my sinfulness for the whole world to see and I defy anyone, God included, Tell me it's wrong. That's lewdness. It's an open exoner. I don't want to use that word. It's not an exoneration. It's an open display of sin and a defiance to do something about it. Lewdness. That's an attitude. That's an attitude. What else does he say? An evil eye. Literally. It's a an eye for wickedness. We're we're looking out for ways to be wicked. We're trying to invent ways to rebel against God. We're trying to invent. We're looking for ways that we can exert our own authority and our own desires. We're looking for evil. What was it that God said about the days of Noah? that every thought and intent of their heart was only evil continually. What was it that Jesus said would be characteristic of the latter days? As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Do we see these attitudes being played out in the world today? Absolutely. Do we see these attitudes being played out even within the professing church? Yes, we do. Blasphemy. Blasphemy is any kind of injurious speech, a defaming speech. Jesus, when, when he spoke about blasphemy, it was in the context of the, uh, the scribes and Pharisees saying that the power that Jesus displayed was because it was coming from Satan. Satan. That was an injurious statement. It was was a a blasphemous statement. It was attributing to Satan what belongs to God. You know, people can blaspheme even one another. It's not just directed to God. It's not just an injurious statement made about God. It's it's about others. Speech again. Pride. Pride. Arrogance, that attitude of boastfully exalting one's self. I'm more important than anybody else. I'm the most important person. You know, we are so stuck on self esteem, aren't we, in this world? Me, 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 me. Look at how great I am. Look at all my achievements. Look at me, me, me. I should get a prize just for waking up in the morning because I am. <laughs> Wait a minute. There's only one I am. And it's not us. There's only one who is self-existent. The rest of us receive our existence from Him as His gift to us. We are not all powerful. We are not all important. We should not have an arrogance about us that makes us think, or convinces us that we're the most important person in the universe no no that place is already occupied by God himself folly (laughs) I like this last one foolishness literally it's folly it's an attitude of moral and spiritual insensitivity it's an I don't care kind of an attitude I don't care what the circumstances are I don't care what the consequences are I don't care what you say I don't care what God say la 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 I'm going to go do my own thing in spite of what happens that is a fool that's folly that's foolishness But there are people who do that. They don't care what God says. They don't care what His Word says. They're going to go do it anyway. What's the solution to the problem? Now, Jesus doesn't address the solution to the problem here, does He? He doesn't. That's not part of what He's focused on. He's focused on, at this point in His his ministry, He's focused on exposing the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. But I I said earlier, you know, that there's hope. There's good news for us. Here's the good news. Though our condition is absolutely miserable and bad and we have nobody to blame but ourselves, there's hope. Look with me at Psalm 32. We looked at Psalm 51 a minute ago. We're going to come back to that too. But look with me at Psalm 32. This is the psalm that David wrote from his heart immediately after he was confronted by Nathan. Psalm 51, Nathan, uh, David is kind of looking back on it a little bit, but Psalm 32 is his confession to Almighty God. Look at what he says, Psalm 32, verse 1. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. I want to look at those three words with you very briefly for just a moment. Sin. Or excuse me, the first one, transgression. It means to cross a boundary. To cross a boundary. Here's a line. And on the other side of the line it says do not enter, do not cross. Stay within this area Do not come to that area. Transgression is when you step across the line, whatever it is. God says, don't do this. He puts a boundary. He says, this is the safe place to walk. This is the expected behavior. This is what you're supposed to be doing. Stay here. Don't go over there. And you say, God, I'm going to go over there. And you cross the boundary. That's transgression. Sin... The word sin means to miss the mark, to miss the bullseye. God has a standard of perfection, doesn't he? That is his standard. What was it Jesus said in the, in the uh, uh, Sermon on the Mount there? He says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, you be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Jesus sets up an absolutely unattainable standard. Why is it unattainable? Because you and I are not holy. We are not perfect. But we're supposed to be. We miss the mark. We, don't, we fall short. We don't come anywhere near that standard. But that's the standard. That's the target. That's the bullseye. That's the mark. And we have sinned. We've fallen short. That's what Paul said in Romans chapter 3, wasn't it? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God the last word iniquity is the Hebrew word that emphasizes the defilement of one's soul the first two transgression and sin are visible aren't they I mean they manifest themselves when somebody crosses a boundary everybody can see it when somebody misses the mark everybody can see it it's clear it's obvious nobody's fooled But the defilement of soul, you know, we can kind of fool each other for a while, can't we? Because we can look nice, we can dress nice, we can talk nice, we can smile. We can control our behavior a little bit for a while. We can sort of look like we're good. But all the while, down deep inside, unseen by everybody around us, is a soul that is absolutely defiled. And those three components, sin, transgression, and iniquity, appear throughout the Scriptures to describe us. And David said, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. The word impute means to credit to one's account. When you go to the bank and you deposit a check, okay, the bank sees that check, they see your signature, they see what the amount is, they see it's going into your account, and so they impute it to your account. They credit it to your account. It's a fancy word, but we use the the meaning of it all the time. It's deposited to your account. How blessed is the man to whom God does not credit His own defilement of soul to His account. Why can God do that? Because as we sang earlier, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It's the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross of Calvary that cleanses us from all sin. He is the one who cleans us, cleanses us, forgives us, indwells us, makes us whiter than snow. Absolutely amazing. Psalm 32, verse 5. Oh, let's back up. Verse 3. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer you see from the time that David committed his sin with Bathsheba till the time that Nathan confronted David with that sin it was about a year and David was living with that sin for about a year and it was gnawing at him it was eating at him it was undermining his soul it was destroying him from the inside out. There wasn't a time when David's conscience did not bother him deeply. Why? Because David was a man of God. He was a believer. He committed a sin. It was not characteristic of his life, but he stumbled and he fell, and rather than immediately confess it, he tried to cover it up which resulted in the murder of one of his most faithful soldiers, Uriah. Never has anyone gone to such a tremendous extent to cover up their sin, only to have it exposed so broadly. And here 3,000 years later, we still know about it. If he would have confessed... Right away. If he was, would have listened to the prompting of the Spirit of God in his heart, how different might his life have been? David says, yeah, I wrestled with this. It had an impact on my body. My bones grew old. And, and, and it, it played on my mind. But look at verse 5. I acknowledged my sin to you. My iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. There they are sin, iniquity, transgression. I, I, I didn't call it anything other than what it was. I brought it before God and I poured out my heart and I said, God, have mercy. I am a sinner. I've transgressed. I've crossed the boundary i violated you. And what? You forgave. You forgave the iniquity, the defilement of my sin. Oh, beloved, that is what God offers to us today. Cleansing. Forgiveness. Oh, what a what a precious joy that is. Look at look at Psalm 51 again. We're gonna see after David's great confession, then in, in, his, in his release he seeks the Lord. Verse 10. Oh, back up to verse 7. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. He's praying to God, restore me. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my transgressions. Create in me a clean heart. What was the problem? It was the heart. What can the great physician do? He can solve the problem. By creating a clean heart. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. I stumbled and I fell in a moment. Oh God, forgive me. Create in me a clean heart. Renew that steadfast spirit that I can walk day by day by day in counsel with You. In obedience to You. Verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me by your look at that word, generous. Some translations have free spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will be converted to you. God, I'll 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 share my experience with others. I'll confess my sin and I'll tell them what great things You have done and how You have restored my soul. Because it's not just for David that God is doing these things. It's for all who call upon the name of the Lord. There is forgiveness. There is cleansing. There is restoration. But not as long as we hide it. Not as long as we hide it when we confess our sin to God. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. First John one nine. Jesus in Mark chapter one, verse fifteen, said this The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Repent and believe the gospel. Stop going your own way. Change your mind, change your direction, change your attitude. Admit what you need. You need the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news that the enmity, that's the, the, the tension, the breach, the break in relationship, the, the the coming judgment, all of that, that the enmity between sinful man and a holy and righteous God has been resolved through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ you might say well pastor you know I I am a believer I am a believer but I still struggle with sin then the gospel is for you the good news because the good news is that God forgives sin listen listen to this from Isaiah 55 seek the Lord while he may be found call upon him while he is near let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Psalm 145, verse 18, the Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. Isaiah 1, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow, though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land, if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. It's not my word, it's His. Turn to the Lord for forgiveness, cleansing, and a new heart. Let's pray. Gracious Father, there is not one of us here that can stand and not be guilty before You. This business of a defiled heart is characteristic of every single one of us. So Father, we come with no pretense, with no pride, with no delusions that we can fool You in any way. We come, Father, and ask that You would extend mercy and grace Maybe there are believers here today that are struggling with sin, kind of like David. They're trying to hide and trying to go on and trying to whatever. But Lord, Your Spirit is jealous for those who are Yours and You will not let us alone. And you You will work in our lives so that we might come back to You. Father, if that's true for some, I pray that they will do that, that they will turn to You. And like David, a man whom you deeply loved, a man after your own heart, who stumbled and fell, that like David, they will again experience the joy of the Lord and the blessing of forgiveness and the cleanness that comes through confession. Father, maybe there are those here this morning that have never trusted in Christ for salvation, but they know, they know in their hearts and minds that. That there's something wrong down deep inside and that they're not ready to stand before You. If this life should end right now, they would stand before You as the judge who would condemn them. But Father, perhaps Your Spirit is working in their heart even now, beginning to open their eyes and to draw them to Yourself and to give them some understanding of the basic truth of the Gospel. Father, I pray that these dear folks will turn to You that they will come to You, all those who are weary and heavy laden, because You'll give rest. Come all those that are weak and defiled. And and God, You've promised that You will forgive because You are abundant in forgiveness. You're the God of grace and God of mercy. So Lord, work Your will among us this day for Your glory and for our eternal good. We pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.